Thank you, Sean, and thank you for your song selection this morning. That was uh, fitted in perfectly, and for Michael too, and what you had to say ties in perfectly. Today, I want to speak on uh, who I am. There's a slide there. Who am I? What is my identity? Who I really am? We're going to cover three points. I have dignity because I'm created in the created in the image of God, but I'm depraved at the same time. And I have a destination. We all have a destination to choose from. Therefore, we must decide who to follow. So, dignity, depravity, destination. Who am I? In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, in the beginning, God, in the Hebrew it says Elohim. That's the word for God. In the beginning, God, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Remember that word Elohim, we'll come back to it. God created the heavens and the earth. After he created man, he looked at everything he'd made and he saw that it was very good, very good. Most things that I make aren't very good. They come up to good, but God made everything, everything very good. Then the Lord God in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says... The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living soul. A living soul. Oh, we got a, I think we've got a slide for that. Uh, have we? Yeah, thanks. Man became a living soul. And C.S. Lewis has put a little quote down there. Well, I put a quote from C.S. Lewis down there. We don't have a soul. We have a body. Sorry, we don't have a soul. We are a soul. And we just happen to have a body. So God breathed our into us and we became a living being or some translation saying a living soul. God has breathed your soul into you when he created you. And because our soul has been breathed into us by God, we've been made like God with a body, a soul, and a spirit, a little... Uh, a little trinity, if you like, just like God. We were made to look like God because the Bible describes God as having hair, mouth, eyes, nose. We were made to look like God. We were given a free will like God to do whatever you wanted him, to follow the Lord, to live with him, or to walk away from him. What a dangerous thing that was for God to, to give us. And we were created by God on purpose for a purpose created by God not just randomly by evolution we were created by God on purpose for a purpose we're not like animals who have no soul can we just interrupt the sermon a minute I want to welcome back Richard and Anne Philpot from the UK and uh, other places it's lovely to see you this morning <laughs> I just saw you <laughs> So we're not like animals, we have no soul, we're made to walk with God. We were created to rule over the animals and over everything that's in the earth. God gave us dominion and rulership over everything in the world. So we've not, we've not, made, we've not been made just a little higher than the animals or the apes as some people say. We've been made just a little lower than the angels. 
That's where I've been made. I'm not <laughs> made down here. I've been made up here. Remember that word Elohim we had before that described in the Lord God created Elohim? Uh, David says in Psalm chapter 8, we've been made a little lower than Elohim. We've been made a little lower than God himself and the angels, just a little lower. That's a tremendous privilege to be created in that position just under Christ. So man, uh, men and women, all of mankind is really the, the uh, how can you put it, the crowning glory of God's creation. It's the jewel in his crown. It's the apex of God's, God's creation. And what's more, he's made every one of you totally different from everyone else. Isn't that amazing? You've all got... We've all got this different skin tones, different looks, different eyes, different irises, different fingerprints, unique DNA, and that sets you apart from every other person who has ever lived and anyone who will ever come after us. So that's why you're fingerprinted when you sometimes, when you go into a country or out of a country, they, they fingerprint you. When I left Malaysia, they fingerprinted me because they've got a record of me then. If I ever come back or if I ever do anything there that I shouldn't, they've got me because my fingerprint sets me apart from the other 8 billion people in the world. It identifies me, makes me unique. But my atheist friends tell me that I just randomly evolved, randomly, from nothing. Can you really believe that? Do you think that you came this morning just because of a random collection of cells in your body? You just turned up, you happened to be here by chance? Of course not. Psalm 139, we'll put up another slide, thanks Jason. Psalm 139 says, oh, I was gonna have that read this morning and I forgot. Let's read it through. O oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far, far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on me. Such knowledge is too much for me, too great for me to understand, to comprehend. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans on the other side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. That's just the first 10 verses. I just noticed Barry and Louise here this morning. Good to see Barry and Louise. That means, some of that means something special to you. Do you want to say anything about that? We'll just bring a mic to you. Can we bring a mic to Barry? And you can just minimise the part about me in there. Let's bring a mic to Barry. Let's, let's go on and read the next session. There's no, another slide, is there? You made all my delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Let's just pause it there. Thanks, Barry. We can go back to the other slide if you like. It is a special uh, psalm because when Louise was in hospital in uh, London about 20 years ago, someone who's standing in front of us at the moment sent us this, these verses. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. It's a very special few verses. 
Thanks, Barry. So, God knows when I stand up, when I sit down, um, wherever I go through life. Even though I've been married to my wife for just over 40 years, that's a long time, I can't tell you when she sits down or stands up, I don't know where she goes. I come home, the car's gone, I've got no idea where she is. <laughs> but God knows, but God knows. And your heavenly Father, he knows where you are 24-7. We are never out of God's sight. Never out of God's sight. I'm not sure whether there's a slide for that or not, I can't remember. Um, so the first part of the psalm goes through how our days uh, are known by God, every moment. And then we come to verse 13. Let's read through that. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We are not constructed with a bit of, few bits of timber and nail and screws. We are woven together. Uh, look at your top you're wearing. This shirt is very finely woven. Every stitch connected to the next, all interlocked. I think we've got a slide for this, Jason. Um, God has knit you and me together in our mother's womb where he created our innermost being. Innermost being, it says. That is the very essence of who I am as a person, my personality, the very essence of who I am. Let's, let's read it on. Let's read on further. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous, and don't I know it? <laughs> I know it well. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Can you work in the dark? I can't. <laughs> God, God made me, he made you in utter seclusion in the darkness of your mother's womb. God was there at work. You know, a male produces about uh, 500 million, that's half a billion sperm that goes to fertilize a female's egg. Let me, give, let me give you some sort of scale of that. If you take the population of the UK, Canada, the US, New Zealand, down to Australia, up to the UK, that's not enough. Not enough population. That doesn't reach 500,000. A man will produce up to 500 um, million, half a billion sperm. And only one gets in to the mother's egg. Do you, do you think it was chance that the sperm that created you was a random one and half a billion? Do you think that the Lord, the Bible says, thought of you before the creation of the world? Do you think, do you think he let any, any random sperm get in? No, he chose you. He chose you, he chose the sperm that would make you out of half a billion. Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment of my life was laid out before a single day had passed. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts about me? Oh God, they cannot be numbered. There's a slide, thanks Jason. Verse 18, I can't even count your thoughts to me. They outnumber the grains of the sand. God Almighty can't stop thinking about you. 
He can't stop thinking about you because of his great love for us. And I can't understand that. Why would God never want to stop thinking about me? Why? I can't get my head around it. I'll put up there a little note. God is always thinking about you. No matter who else has forgotten about you, you are always, always on God's mind. The next verse says, thanks Jason. The next verse, last verse says, when I wake up, you're still with me. This isn't a dream. This isn't fairyland. This is, this is as real as you are sitting in the pew there. You are the result of God's incredible creativity and intricate detailed planning. Yet, we come to the next point. We depraved. Depravity. Despite our divine creation, we are. We're depraved. Yes, depraved. It sounds awful, isn't it? But we are. We turn away from God's design for our lives and we're depraved. We're deceitful. We're proud. We're born ungodly sinners before God. Uh, Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, says, The heart of man is desperately wicked. Wicked. It's desperately wicked, desperately sick, and desperately perverse. And there's a little, if you read that verse, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, you might see a little note in your Bible down the, down the bottom that says, This means incurably sick. You're so sick, you're incurable. Your sin is so, uh, can't be dealt with. You can't read a self-help book. You can't deal with, with, a doctor can't deal with it. A psychiatrist can't deal with it. It's incurably sick. And nature all around us, despite its stunning beauty, it's also wild and dangerous. Animals eat other animals. Animals attack humans. There are floods, rock falls, lightning strikes. Darren Glennis know people, lovely Christian people who have been killed in lightning strikes. Storms that uproot trees and fallen houses. Volcanoes that spew poison. You can easily lose your life in the, in the wilderness of nature. Easily. It's an easy thing. And people do. Experienced tigers go out, disappear, never to be seen again. It can be caused by just a simple fall. And earlier this year I fell down a little cliff face into a disused drain. Wasn't too far, but it was about 20 feet, decent distance. And I'm still surprised and grateful, grateful that I'm still alive, that it didn't kill me. All it took was just one little wrong step. Gone. Gone. But it's not what, just what we do that makes us depraved before God. It's what's in our heart, as Michael Wood said the other, other week. It's what's in our heart. God, Jesus came in the New Testament and said, listen, it's the attitude of your heart as well. It's your attitude to your neighbours, my attitude to the people I work with, our attitudes towards money. Um, the disciple John in 1 John chapter 2 says, there are three things that are in the world that are not of God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of my desires to eat, to gratify my desires that will become um, addictions if I let them go. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Ooh, what my neighbour's got. Oh, look at that nice Tesla. I want one of those. Oh, how come I haven't got a boat like he has? I want a caravan like they've got over the road. Why can't I get this and that? The lust of the eyes. And then when you've got it all, the pride of life. Says John, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. The pride of life 
Uh, and these, is, these are attitudes I'm talking about from the heart, not things we do. The pride of life is arrogant boasting about your achievements and about your possessions. And I see this from time to time, periodically. I talk with people. In the first 10 minutes of the conversation, they've told me everything they've ever done, how many rental places they've got, what their shack's like. It's them. It identifies them as a person. It's, it's what they've got. And uh, last time I can remember it happening, we were in a taxi. In the, in the first 10 minutes of the ride, the taxi driver just told us all, all the same thing as I've just described, all he'd ever done, all he owned. And uh, we get out of the car, we get out of earshot, and Alison looks at me and says, the pride of life. And I say, yeah, the, pr the pride of life. And these are our hearts, attitudes that we have that, that, that uh, is sin before God. And, uh, and wanting something and wanting it again is greed. And greed, in Colossians chapter 3, is equated with idolatry. That's pretty harsh. From God's point of view, if I've got a greedy heart, I want the biggest piece of cake. If I want the, the best, that's equated with idolatry. That's pretty severe in, in God's eyes. But you say, hang on a minute, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I've got a lot of good in me. And you do have a lot of good in you. We all have a lot of good in us. But it's like, it's like our justice system. Our justice system, as uh, those who were here yesterday morning saw Simon Lucinda on the uh, big screen, uh, they were answering a question about what's the justice system like. And they were saying it's not based on the Bible like in the West. In the West, we are extremely fortunate. Our justice and our legal system is based on the Bible, the Ten Commandments and, and other ordinances from, from God. And it's a great system. And um, the justice system says um, it catches someone who does something wrong. And you, you think of people you know have done something wrong, famous people. I think of old people like me, Rolf Harris, who's been a great, done a lot of good for Australia, for um, the UK. He put British paints on the map, and but it's found recently he abused a couple of women years ago, decades ago, and they said, uh-uh, our justice system says, hang on a minute, you've done something wrong. You need to pay for that. You need to pay the penalty. And so they, they don't, the judge doesn't look at his life and say, well, you've done all of this and you've done all of that. You've just done a little bit of bad. Oh, the, the scale's tipping your favour towards the good. Why you go? No way. But somehow, I don't know how it is, uh, when people think of going to heaven, they turn it upside down. They think, oh, the scales of God will just tip me this way. Oh, I've done a lot of good. But does, it's irrelevant. If we've done anything that's bad, any wrong attitude in the heart, it says we have to be dealt with by God. And that's where it's really at. God looks at us and says, you've got a lot of good. You've only got this much sin, badness, but you can't come in because of your sin. Heaven wouldn't be worth living in if it had some sin in there. I wouldn't want to go there if there was grumblings and and quarrels and uh, women weren't safe on their own they wouldn't just be like living here it'd be terrible so God says you can't come in because of your sin so we get to destination there's a destination for everybody everyone has a destination their soul that lives forever so the old body dies off or is killed or with whatever sickness 
whatever else, in a war. Um, the, the soul lives on and God says, your soul has to go to hell. You have to pay the price. And you'll be separated from God forever. And one of the terrible things about death, one of the worst things about death is the separation. You lose someone, they're gone. They're gone. And it's terrible. If I have an unbelieving cousin or someone or brother-in-law, I'll never see him again, ever. That's hard to deal with. And the Bible says the soul that sins will die. God says the wages of sin is death. He's warned us. And the Bible also tells us your sins have separated you from God because God can't live with sin in his presence. But, 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 Jesus looked at us. He saw that he created us. He loved us. And he thought, I've got to do something about this. So he came. He stepped in. He took all our sins on, on him when he died. We should have died. We should have been on that cross. But he died for us. He died for me. And who am I? I'm just a little old person in the back end of the world, way down under. Why should God die for me? But he did because he loved me. And so if I accept his offer where he died and he nailed my sins to the cross, I can live with him in heaven. I can live with my loving saviour at his place. I can go and live at his place. What was the song that Sean had this morning? In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And, but we need to make the decision. We can't just let it slide. We need to make a decision. Am I going to follow God, accept his offer? God is there holding out, holding out the papers of adoption to you, saying, I want to adopt you. I want to adopt you as my sons and daughters. Come on, will you take the offer? And all we have to do is believe it and ex accept it to live, in, to live in our Father's house. And, that's, and if we accept, that's when our identity as a person really comes into sharp focus. That's when it really becomes clear. We've got another verse to put up there. Uh, Jason, thanks. When you're ready, that's it. Uh, another one is there before that. No, that'll do, that'll do. That one there with the colours. We are God's workmanship. Some verses put it, we are his masterpiece. Other versions of the Bible say we are his handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do them. Now notice, um, it doesn't say uh, we should do good works to get into heaven. We accept Christ's offer and out of love we do good works. We are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. That word masterpiece or handiwork in the uh, Greek language, it means poema. We get the word poem or poetry from that. So you are God's piece of poetry. That's what he's really, really saying. You are God's work of art. You're not mass-produced in a factory. That's cheap. You are God's one-of-a-kind human masterpiece, a beautiful piece of poetry, a much-admired painting, or a, 
a sculpture that's been chiselled and chipped away and cleverly crafted till it becomes a piece of art, a magnificent piece of art. The Bible says over and over and over again that God knows us and says, I or you are fully known by God. And that's, that's really something. In the Old Testament, to know uh, meant to experience. And that's why in you read the King James Bible, it says Adam knew his wife. Adam experienced his wife. He was intimate with his wife. And that's what God says, I, I want to know you. I do know you. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. I want to love you lavishly. I want to love you wildly. <clears throat> On the book of um, Understanding Women, it's about yay thick, I'm on the last chapter. <laughs> but I still don't fully understand my wife. I've lived with her for 40 years and I still don't fully know her. But Jesus does. And her Heavenly Father does. Knows every detail of her life. He knows you inside out. He knows you better than you know yourself. How? Why? I don't know. I don't know, I can't give you the answer, but he does. Perhaps because he's created us in such detail and he's loved us enough to die on a cross and, and to buy us back when Satan come to sit as a squatter in the house of our life. And he wants to enjoy our company forever. Us, us, God wants to enjoy our company. That's amazing. If I was God, well, I wouldn't want to live with me for the rest of eternity. But God does, and I can't, I can't understand why. I can't get a handle on it. The, another way of putting it, as Michael put it this morning, he said, the Bible says over and over again, we are in Christ. And that seems a bit of a funny term, but we use it in everyday language. I'm in debt. You are too. If you're paying off a house, I'm in debt. I'm in debt. If you run a business, you're either in the black or in the red. Someone says, what do you do? You say, well, I'm in education. I'm in IT. Where do you live? I live in Howrah. I live in Tasmania. We say it because we've done it for years. It's, it's what we do. It's, it consumes us. It's our work. We've done it for decades. We're in something. But spiritually, we're in Christ. We live, not in Howrah, we live in the goodness of God. Because his goodness and his mercy follow us wherever we go, says the Psalms. Wherever we go, his goodness and mercy follows us. So we are hidden. The Bible says we are hidden in Jesus Christ. Where nothing in all of creation can steal us or snatch us away from our Father's hand. Nothing can snatch us away from his deep, immeasurable love. Romans chapter 8 on the love of God describes what I've been saying. It starts with no condemnation. If we are in Christ, we're not condemned. If we're in Christ, there's no, it ends with no separation. Starts with no condemnation, ends with no separation. And there's a lot more in between. No separation from God, none. Ever, ever to live with him or he wants to live with us. Let me conclude with the last slide up there. Psalm 71.6. Yes, Lord, you have been with me from birth. You have been with me from my mother's womb. You have cared for me. From my mother's womb, you have cared for me. No wonder I'm always praising you.
Let's pray. Father, in my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And since before we were born, you knew us, you planned us, you know us intimately, and somehow you love us. We can't understand it. We can't get a grip on it. But Father in heaven, we thank you for your tremendous love that identifies us as a person, makes us who we are, makes us comfortable in our own skin, whatever we look like, because we've been created by you. We thank you and we worship you this morning in Jesus' most precious creative name. Amen. Thank you, David. It's uh, essentially a summary of the gospel. It's been beautifully told. I just encourage everyone here that if you haven't actually answered that call, where he has come to you and said, come follow me, come be my disciple, be my child, uh, don't delay. Uh, we, want to, we want that decision to be made. You'll be brought into his kingdom because his mercy is for now. I don't even know if it's for tomorrow, but I know it's for now. Um, so please don't, don't miss that. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up the service shortly. Um, I didn't want to take over the service, but we have an announcement to make uh, on behalf of my family because uh, we've had a, such a beautiful time here at Hope Christian Centre. We're very deeply in love with many of you, but uh, we feel at this time that God's led us uh, to other things. And so I uh, feel very clearly that it is going to be time for us to bring this season to a close at Hope. And so but on behalf of Rosia and my family, I just want to really express this great gratitude and love towards you all. Um, and our family, which we're going to kind of miss many of you. Um, and really thank you especially for the, the privilege of being able to serve you as an elder over the last, I think it's about four and a half years or so. So I know this might be a little bit of a shock. Um, I know many of you have kind of felt this anyway, but um, yeah, really just want to express this great deep appreciation for you all. But um, yeah, we feel very clearly uh, led by God that this is uh, going to be a time coming to close. So I think uh, we're talking in a couple of weeks, we might have it. Yeah, I mean, come on up, Paul, if you like. Um, but yeah, it would be good to, to hang out in a couple of weeks and just um, yeah, celebrate a bit together what God's done over this time. Um, but yeah, I might over to you, Paul. You want to pray for the guys? Sure. Uh, I was thinking as I was um, thinking about this, Sean, this should come as no surprise to us, uh, because not, not because of anything we may have seen in Sean necessarily, though many of us have, but I was just thinking of those verses in Romans 12 to uh, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, a spiritual act of worship, that all of us should hold that lightly, that this, should, this is a, a common thing. When Simon and Lucinda have gone off to other places, it's because God has led them and their devotion is to God, not to uh, anything else. And so we've seen in Sean and Rocio, I think the other reason is because as Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, uh, and you know the earlier chapters are about God's mercy to us, the very things that David was talking to us. And he says, in view of those mercies, um, he said, each member belongs to each other. That's why we'll feel this. That's why this is painful, because we belong to each other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him prophesy. If he's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let, it, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let them encouraging. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it's leadership, let them govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. 
Um, and so it's, it's a sad occasion because we, we love your family. Come, come up to Rocio. Um, but we miss you because you are part of the family, because you have shown mercy, because you have led, because you have served us. So we want to thank you for that. There's another couple of weeks yet. Um, so you've got a chance to talk to Sean Rocio and talk to them about what their plans are. But I do get the feeling that it's a bit like a, an Abraham call. It's like God is saying, I'm taking you somewhere. I know where you're going, but you might not know the details. That's not the details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we've got a couple of weeks and we'll give them a proper send off in a couple of weeks. So, but let's pray and commit them to the God that yeah. they're serving. Father, we are so grateful that we are going to really miss this family uh, because they've been part of the body and it's like wrenching a part of us away. But uh, at the same time, we are so pleased uh, that, the, that your call is so tangible and so clear uh, that there's no doubt in their minds. That makes uh, what is a, a painful um, movement a joyful one as well. So we thank you for your work in them that, that, that has been observable to us. We thank you for their uh, palpable sense of your uh, being with them, your closeness with them. And we thank you that you have, through your word and through the operation of your spirit directly, um, the family being brought closer and being uh, given a clear definition of what your will is for them. Uh, if not in total detail, uh, generally, the, and their trust that you will lead them uh, wherever they are to go. So we are all in that situation and we take this opportunity to commit ourselves to you, Father, individually and collectively as a church. Lead us in whatever way you desire uh, so that you might be glorified and it might be to the blessing and benefit of others. So we give thanks uh, to Jesus Christ because we wouldn't be standing here for any other reason but that we have, but that your son gave his life, shed his blood and cleansed us of our sins, put on new white robes on us and then gave us a work to do. And we thank you that um, we know that we will be spending eternity together. So this is just a small time away from each other. I guess we'll see them from time to time. But we thank you, Father. We know that we will spend eternity together. What a blessing that is. All glory to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'll pray too. Did you hear what Sean said when, he, when I came up to the... Uh, platform. He said he loves me dearly. He's a brother in the Lord. Isn't that lovely of him? Sean and I have had a difference of opinion recently. And, 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 and uh, what would you call it? Not a little spat, but anyway, a difference of opinion. But he loves me in the Lord. That's the love of Christ. And I respect him and love him too. Father in heaven, thank you for this lovely family that we are uh, going to miss. And Lord, we know that you'll continue to bless your lives. You promised that. You'll continue to fill them with your spirit. And we pray blessing on their lives. May they walk with you and may we see um, good things come from their life. Father, thank you for this promise that your spirit will go before and lead them, love them lavishly as you have promised in your word. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.